This morning's reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is the word of the Lord. So you're ready to go home now, or you want to hear about sex? Well, good morning again. I'm glad you're here today. Hopefully you got your Bible open on your lap or your smartphone or your tablet. This is what we do here at Bethany Church. We open God's Word together. We sit under God's Word uh, with the hope of, our, of following the mission of our church, of helping people follow Jesus. That's why we are here, helping people follow Jesus. Um, you know, to truly, I think we had a slide for that. Let's bring that first one up, helping people follow Jesus. That's our mission, to truly do that, we sit under God's Word, the Word of Jesus Christ, the Word that informs us who He is, what He's about, and what He has done. Well, as we transition today to this passage, to this topic in the middle of um, this series we've been doing, to truly know something, to use it correctly, you've got to know its purpose. A hammer, hammers nails, a car takes us somewhere. So what is the purpose of sex? To truly know something. What is its purpose? Now the culture, the culture we live in, the, the air we breathe, the water we drink, has been doing a really good job of promoting a purpose of sex. The soundtrack of our day, the purpose that's been put in the forefront is, if it feels good, what? Do it. If it feels good, do it. It's been the primary purpose pushed to the foreground of most pop culture songs and things that our culture churns out, which is really just a remix of the serpent's message to Eve, live by your own truth, not by God's. You know, many churches and Christians have even tried to shy away from the Bible's teaching on gender, on sex, on sexuality, out of, out of embarrassment, or thought, you know, why ruffle feathers? Why not just talk, talk about Jesus, talk about Jesus' love? Let's not talk about all those things. This revolution of sex and gender we've been talking about throughout this series 
has landed on the doorsteps of our homes and churches. Avoidance is not an option. That's why we're doing a series like this. Avoidance is not an option. And the gospel actually does not exempt us from confronting and wading through our own messy sins and temptations. And real lives are devastated by sexual sin. The gospel's for real life is what I'm saying. Where we really live. Where the people in our neighborhoods live and in our lives. Not just theoretical but for real lives and sins and problems. In fact, God asks us to confront him. Galatians 6.1 says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. In the church, we're called to hold one another accountable even. Paul's writing there. For the sake of the community, the sake of the community's message, the sake of Christ's name, the sake of bearing that name as a Christian. Paul says those hard words. Add to that, it's actually loving to lead sinners, which we all are in this room. And in fact, every one of us in this room is even a sexual sinner. So let's get that out of the way. It's loving to lead sexual sinners to God's grand design and forgiveness in Jesus. That's true love and a richer definition of love. Why is this so important? Sex was also created to be a picture of the gospel. It's one purpose. We're going to talk about a few more in a minute, but it's one and a big one. A man shall leave his father and hold fast to his wife, Paul wrote, and the two shall become one flesh. That means sex. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church, Paul writes. So in some mysterious way, it's to teach us about Jesus and the church. Sex itself between a husband and wife. Sex was God's idea, that means. He created it. He made it. He gives it that purpose of saying, I want this thing I've made between a husband and a wife to point to the intimacy of Jesus and his bride. It's a picture of that. This morning we're going to look at the primary and secondary purposes of sex because it's a gospel issue. It's a gospel issue. It's a cultural issue. It's a personal issue. We're going to look at the primary and secondary purposes of sex, and then we're going to place them in a gospel context of redemption and resurrection to hopefully glorify God in our bodies. So grab your outline. Hopefully you got it there. We're going to quickly walk through some of the purposes, the why behind sex. So let's talk about the purposes of sex and the why behind sex, why it exists and what are its big primary and secondary purposes. And then we'll jump into this 1 Corinthians passage. You know, for too long, I think the church has gotten the bad rap that we're kind of like down on sex. We're negative about sex. Or sex is shameful or icky or dirty. And a lot of times that's because the church's message has not been very uh, robust or positive. And it has been at times pretty negative. Just, just don't do it. Just don't do it. And some of us grew up in our families and homes or kids and youth group. They said, well, just don't do it. And that was the, kind of the mantra of the day. And that's just pretty one-sided and actually just a, a negative argument for why to wait to marriage. So sometimes it's been warranted. But Christians should have a biblical view of, that thinks very positively about sex. A high view of sex and our bodies. 
and their use. Sex is, it's beautiful. It's God-given for our benefit, for our joy, when used according to its purpose, like anything, like anything else. And he gave us these purposes for our, for your protection, actually. He's not a cosmic killjoy. He gave us these purposes for our protection. Because when we use sex outside of these purposes, we actually harm ourselves and others. So let's quickly go through a few to give a foundation for this passage today. Here's the ultimate one. The ultimate purpose of sex is the glory of God. What? Really? It's so earthy and so physical and so human and so, I don't know, close. Really? It's really the ultimate purpose of everything in life as his image bearers, to give God glory. To point to his goodness, to point to his greatness. There is nothing better than him. And so even sex between a man and a woman is to point to that. Here's a couple verses. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, whatever you do, I guess would include sex, right? Whatever you do, do all, all, everything all to the glory of God. And then our passage today closes with this as you heard read, so glorify God in your body. Our bodies are meant to be used to glorify God. So if you don't understand the primary purpose of sexuality, this one, you don't really understand it. You don't don't get it. And you'll have no basis or grounding to make decisions on right and wrong, even. As it comes to sex, you'll have no basis for that. No grounding to make ethical decisions in in really kind of our morally insane culture we live in today without this purpose. We'll see in our passage today that the primary purpose, the use of our bodies, that verse there, is the glory of God. So the question to ask is, does it honor Him? What I'm choosing to do, contemplating, thinking about, planning about, hoping will happen, does it honor Him? Apply that to your porn usage, your lust, sex outside of that designed marriage, crude sexual jokes. Does it honor him is the question. It's the primary overarching question. Does it honor him as we use our body? Disciple desires, wants to, longs for, even imperfectly honor God his God by loving the things he loves and hating the things he hates. He hates the misuse of sex, even as he dearly loves humanity and the ones he's given sex to as a gift. It's a primary purpose. So what are some of those secondary ones? I have a feeling we're going to hear some pins dropping here today. I get that sense in the room today. It's okay. We're talking about something that's challenging. It is. It makes us all uncomfortable, but guess what? It applies to every one of us. Whether you're in a relationship right now that God has said sex is good in, or whether you're parenting or grandparenting or just love the body of Christ, this is for all of us. And it is hard. But we've got to talk about it, right? We have to. So what are those secondary purposes? These are important, too, and they all point to that primary purpose. 
God's glory isn't just some theological thing to contemplate with our minds. It is that, but it's also something that's to be lived out. He gets to define how that plays out in practical usage of your body. He defines that. So here's what he designed. Let's look at a few. There's four of them we're going to look at real quick. First one's this. It's secondary purpose. It's to consummate a marriage. He gave sex for that secondary purpose. Scripture defines marriage as this thing we talked about starting last week, that a man and a woman complement each other. They're the same in a lot of ways, in their honor and dignity, worth, image of God, and yet they are different, and they're meant to be different, and those differences are beautiful and good, and those differences complement the other. Scripture defines marriage this way as one woman, one man, covenantal, which means a binding union with a purpose. And it's sealed with sex. It's sealed with sex. Do you see why marriage is so much more than just the government putting its stamp of approval on your romance? That's what it's been reduced to. It's always been so much more than the government just saying, we approve of this romance. It's so much bigger than that. It's a covenant of two people coming together. We've reduced it. And it can only be sealed by male and female sex that complement. Here's what Genesis said as God created it before the fall even. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And so the Bible speaks of sex because it does something mystical almost you might say. Even mysterious, Paul says. The most intimate act becomes one flesh flesh of two people. First marriage of Adam and Eve, they were made one flesh. They were, this was the first marriage ceremony in the garden. Have you thought about it that way? It was the first marriage ceremony, and what a pastor to have oversee it, but God himself, and that's pretty good. And they come together, unite in this in most intimate act, unites this couple in a, in a comprehensive, so big, comprehensive way. Mind, soul, body, heart. This is the only proper secondary purpose, context, whatever you want to call it, for sex. That's how God's designed it. There is no other proper context. I want to be really clear today. It matters that much. There is no other proper context. All sexual activity outside of marriage doesn't fulfill that ultimate primary purpose, honoring God, and it's sin. We've got to be honest. We've got to be clear with what God says. Sex consummates marriage. It's a secondary purpose. Here's the second one. We, we forget this one, but it's having babies. That's a secondary purpose. Of course, not every sexual act results in, in, a, in a pregnancy. But we forget that sex is oriented towards procreation. It's one of the things that our culture has tried to absolutely remove through technologies, through abortion, removing the reality that sex is ordered towards having children, procreation. At the original creation, he also said Adam and Eve, Genesis 1.28, he blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God is telling his people, as those you and I 
who have been called to be image bearers, to show his glory to the world, uh, those the vice regents is another way to put them, to, o- to oversee the earth and rule it. We do that by having more image bearers. That's why he gave this to us, raising them to, to, to love Jesus and then unleashing them on the world to rule it, to see over it, to fill it, to subdue it, to create culture that honors God and helps others follow Jesus. So that means if you have kids, your primary mission field is your home. Your primary mission field is your home. Are you called to others? Of course. The gospel is called to be taken outside the walls of our churches and homes. But your primary mission field is your home. Dads, we talked about that last week. The primary calling on a father. We repeat it today on Father's Day. If you have kids or grandkids. The third one's this, to show love. To show love is a, a secondary purpose. Important, to, though. To show love in an ongoing way in marriage. This is why sex is difficult at times, too. This is why sex is a challenge in marriage. It doesn't always come easy. Because it's meant to show real, loving Intimacy. And if you're not fostering that, if I'm not fostering that in, in conversation, in acts of love, in attitudes, in emotions, in words, the last thing you want to do is lay face-to-face naked with someone, isn't it? I mean, that's the reality. It's, it's an intimate act. And if the intimacy is not in the other areas of your life, the last thing you want to do is sex. That's why sex and marriage can be really hard. I mean, it, it, to put it bluntly, husbands... If you want to have more sex with your wife, it starts way before you ever get to the bedroom, it means. How are you treating her in the morning over the breakfast table? I mean, that's the reality of how intimate and what this is the purpose of expressing love means. It starts at the breakfast table. We've got to capture that and see the reality of that. And for husbands and wives, how we treat each other. It's for love. It's to show love. Well, as you blush a bit, here we go. The royal couple of Song of Solomon has a loving, passionate sex life that most couples would love to reproduce on their own. Here's a couple in, in their marriages. Here's a couple verses. My beloved is to me. I think that word's a sachet, which is, I think, some kind of, a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. Yeah. Here's another one from Song of Solomon. Chapter 2, verse 3, to show this love that this couple has. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. It's poetic, but it's real. This sex was meant to express a love that unites them in this most intimate act. Are we down on sex? No, read the song of Solomon. Christians should not be down on sex. You look at this book. Here's one more. Uh, This isn't the language of some just mechanical, physical act or an exchange of of fluids. This is a deep, passionate love. That's the way the cultures describe it. This is is passionate. 
expressed in action. Here's, I, I actually, and most translators won't even touch this one. They just kind of make it really bland. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory bedecked with sapphires. It's in the Bible, so I can read it out loud. <laughs> but most translators won't even, not even translate this correctly. They sort of, euphemisms, they sort of like just leave it kind of bland. Do you think God has a low view of sex? No. It's the marital expression of love. And here's the final one, which is connected to it. It's the fourth purpose is this, pleasure. I mean, we have to be obvious. The fourth purpose is, is pleasure. And what pleasure does is, and here's the great, brilliant connection in God's mind, it serves as a motivator towards all those other purposes. God could have created sex to be pleasureless. But because he made it pleasureful, we're motivated to keep our relationship good and loving so we can have sex. It motivates us towards coming together with with, with our spouses, which strengthens our marriages, makes more babies, fills the earth with image bearers. That was the motivating factor towards all those other good things. Our Song of Solomon passage shows the same thing, that sexual pleasure given in the God-given context honors God. It's for our joy and good in its proper context. Look at your outline, though, now. Now that you've filled in those purposes there, that ultimate purpose and then those four secondary ones underneath it, see how they kind of all build on each other from a Christian worldview? God's glory seals a marriage, makes babies, expresses love through pleasure. What does our culture do? They start right at the bottom of that list. Do you see it there? They start right there, and they stop right there. Pleasure is the only purpose, and everything above it is sort of customizable. It's an option. You can add it on if you want to or not. Do you see that? So as we move to 1 Corinthians now, let's see this play out in a real context now. These purposes, these purposes that God has given sex, as we see in a real context, in real people's lives, as Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians. How do we make sure our own sexuality now glorifies God? Let's look. Corinth was a town in modern day, what we call today, modern day uh, South Central Greece today, where Paul had established this church. He established it. He spent a year and a half there, and then he went away as he did to start other churches, to visit other, go back to other places. And it was a church that was plagued by sexual sin, plagued by sexual sin, partially given to the culture that the church was found in. And this sin caused an incredible divisiveness in their church. They were divided. A group of men in the Corinthian church found no problem visiting prostitutes for sex which was part of everyday life, which is part of a lot of cults uh, that day, just pagan rituals, visiting prostitutes for sex. You know, the human heart, especially when it comes to sex, has a, a great um, talent at rationalizing the sin, don't we? Sexual sin. We have a great talent at rationalizing it. And we come up with all kinds of slogans. We're going to look at some in Corinthians passage here. Slogans or thoughts in our minds that rationalize the sin. Here's some of ours. You deserve this. Hey, it's just a natural urge. What does it matter? If I don't do it, somebody else will. I I can't help myself. 
Love is love. It feels good, do it. Hey, I was just following my heart. Those are all slogans that we use to rationalize our sin. And when we do that, we harden our hearts and we, we sear our conscience and we actually do damage to our souls. That's why Paul is so adamant here and so passionate here and quick to respond to these Corinthians. And this is what the Corinthians were doing, and it actually helps us understand this passage that Leslie read. If you, if you read it and didn't know this, you're thinking, what is Paul saying here? All things are lawful, and stomachs are food, and yet God's going to destroy it. This is what the Corinthians were doing. They were coming up with slogans, just like we do today, to rationalize their sin, to justify their sin. Here's the first one. Take a look. It's slogans, so actually, coming up, there it is. The slogan is actually Paul quoting the Corinthians' words back to them that they used to justify their sin. And then Paul responds. So that first verse that was read today, it's verse 12. There's the slogan, all things are lawful for me. They say, what's lawful for me? All things are lawful for me. Why do you care what I do, Paul, with my body? That was their own slogan they were using. And Paul's responses are back, but not all things are profitable. He quotes it again. Well, all things are lawful for me, but I'll not be enslaved by anything. You know, the Corinthians had heard Paul say, you're not under the law anymore. You're not saved by the law anymore. You're free from the law. You're saved by grace. And so they basically took Paul's words and said, hey, we're free from the law. Hey, Paul, we don't have to keep the Jewish law to be saved. We're saved by Christ. So what does it matter what we do with our bodies? We're free from the law. Do you think that's what Paul meant? Probably not. They thought, who cares? All things are lawful for me. And Paul responds, kind of like he did in Romans. Here's what he said in Romans about that idea. What then? Are we to sin if we're not under the law? But under grace? He says, by no means. By no means, he says. If that's your attitude after coming to Christ, hey, now I'm free for anything. He says, you've missed the gospel. By no means, he says. He responds by telling him, yes, you're not saved by the law. You're not. Here's what he's going to tell them. It's our first point in this Corinthian passage. Our sexual desires and identities, here's how he's going to respond to these slogans, are to be channeled, to be restrained, to be formed by love and lordship. By love and lordship. This is how he responds to their slogans of, hey, all things are lawful. Any sexual desire or identity has got to be channeled through these two things, love and lordship. Your slogan in your heart might be, well, I, I deserve it, or grace will cover it, or she'll never find out, or this is just how God made me. Hey, or I'm just being true to myself. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Sin is still sin. The first thing you're to ask yourself is this. Is it a loving act? Is it a loving desire? Love is our ethic. That's what Paul says here. Love is our ethic, what guides us in our bodies and how we use them. The words Paul uses are this. Not all things are profitable for me. He doesn't just mean profitable for oneself. Paul doesn't speak in, that, in individualistic terms that much. He always talks about the church. So the question with our sex and how we use our bodies is not just the, one of these slogans, but is it profitable? He really means is it profitable for others in the body of Christ? or others in my family. 
others in the community, other, other Christians. Our freedom then, Paul is saying, is limited by our love for others, by your concern for your spouse, by your concern for our local body here, by your concern for the community of Canby. In the name of Jesus Christ, he says, love, is it profitable? Love is our ethic. It limits our freedom. So you have to ask yourself in any given sexual situation, is this loving? Not just to me. Is it profitable and loving for more than just me? Does this build up other people in the body of Christ, what I'm about to do, what I'm harboring in my heart, or what I'm thinking in my mind? Everyone knows, Christian, secular, everyone knows that the breakdown of the family because of sexual sin is the greatest factor of the breakdown of our communities. Everyone knows it. Every social science study points to it, and then we sweep it under the rug because nobody wants to talk about it when the, when the data comes back. Everyone knows this. Does it profit? Me, my spouse, our community. Plenty of people have used love as an excuse, actually, for sex outside of marriage or with living with someone before marriage. Well, I love you. I, I love you, so of course I want to have sex with you. I mean, isn't that, we said, isn't that one of the purposes? It is. It's on your notes already. Love, expression of love is one of the purposes. Yes. But to be used outside of marriage, it's actually never loving. Have you thought about that? Our culture, even our culture will say, yeah, sex is a natural expression of loving someone. But if it's ever done outside of marriage, it actually can't be loving. Here's why. Because the physical union of sex, one flesh now, is meant to represent the ultimate form of personal union, of uniting two people. That's what sex is meant to show, the personal union of two people. And when you go all the way with your body, but you won't unite your life to the person legally, economically, socially, spiritually, it's lying with your body. It's lying with your body. It's saying, you're good enough for me to have sex with, but join every part of my life to you? I don't think so. It's a lie. Our action says we're united on all levels, but the reality is I can walk out the door as soon as this is over. Nothing to protect you, nothing to protect me. I'm gone. It's a lie. And who gets hurt the most in our culture? Women and children. I saw, some of you are already saying it. You know it. Women and children. They get sacrificed on the altar of our sexual freedom time and time again. It's not loving. How about looking at pornography? We have to talk about this one. It's an epidemic in the church. It's ravaging churches. Is it loving? Does it build up your marriage? Ask these questions of yourself. Does it build up your family? Does it build up the church? Of course our sexual sin impacts others. We've got to think that way. The, pri- the idea of the privacy of your bedroom, leave it alone, it doesn't impact anybody else, was a lie our culture told us to. Of course it matters. Our first ethic is love. Is it loving? Here's a second one that Paul says, under his lordship we find our identity. So love, love and lordship. 
His lordship is to form our sexuality as well. Paul responds to that slogan again. Here's a slide coming up again with their slogans and Paul's response. The, the bottom one, first one was, all, are all things, is it, they're not all profitable. Is it loving is that question. Is it profitable? Second one, but I won't be enslaved by anything is Paul's response to their slogan. Hey, it's, it's, I'm not under the law. Any good thing in life, even sex, money, food, any good thing in life can, that's a gift from God even can be turned into a bad thing, can't it? An ultimate thing. We call those idols. When, when, our, when our own self-gratification displaces Jesus' lordship in your life, that becomes an idol. Whatever that thing is that's feeding your pleasure. Pleasure is good, yes. But if pleasure is ultimate, that pleasure is your God, not Jesus. Lordship in your life. As Christians, we know God's called you to be a disciple, hasn't he? He's adopted you into his family. He's called you to be a follower, a disciple, who's placed his or her life under Jesus' lordship. We've promised allegiance. That's what it means to take his name as a Christian. I'm promising allegiance to this one, this Jesus who died for me as Lord. This means that he has to be your master. It also means he won't overlook the rivals that are taking place in your life. And it's actually gracious of him to root them out. Do you know that? It hurts, yes, when he shows us an idol in our heart. But if he was loving, if he wasn't loving, he would say, doesn't matter. Hey, doesn't matter. He will not accept rivals in your heart. It's gracious of him. Sexual temptations and desires for identities, our own lust, the pull towards same-sex attraction, the gender dysphoria and the desire for transgenderism, all these things, your pull, my pull towards pornography and lust, those things that want to grab our hearts, that want to form you and say, this is your identity. This is your identity. Our ultimate identity cannot be found in our sex, in our sexual sin. God asks everybody in this room, all of us to die to part of ourselves, to be freed from slavery to the one thing, to become the slave of Jesus. Paul calls himself, do you know what he calls himself? He calls himself a bond servant, a slave of Jesus Christ. He says, my old self is dead. My new self is in Jesus Christ and his lordship over my life. A slave to Christ. You know, there are countless, countless men and women who have chosen an identity in Christ, his lordship over their sexual desires. Do you know that? Men who've walked away from porn addictions because Christ is better. Same-sex attracted disciples who've chosen to live celibate because Christ is better. Single Christians or widowed or widowers who've decided, I will live celibate for the sake of the love, my love for the Savior because Christ is better. You're honored today too. Transgender individuals who've chosen to trust their biology over their feelings because Christ is better. He's better So what is it for you? What is your besetting sexual sin or temptation? You have to ask yourself, what is loving and what does lordship look like? If our ultimate value and worth and identity is in Jesus, it also means this. This is really important. Sex isn't everything. 
It's important, but it isn't everything. You can live a perfectly fulfilled, God-honoring, joy-filled life without sex because Jesus is better. He's better. That's not all. Paul talks about this first answer back to the slogans, but here's the second one. The resurrection of the future gives meaning to your body in the present. The resurrection of your future gives meaning to your body in the present. Here again was the slogan used to justify their sexual sin coming up here. Another slogan that they said. So this is not actually Paul's words. They said, hey, food's meant for the stomach. The stomach for food, you know? And God's going to destroy both one and the other anyways. So that's their slogan. That's the Corinthians' justification for their own sin. And Paul said, the body... It's not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and for the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. It's verses 13 and 14 there. The slogan and Paul's answer back. They were just basically saying, hey, my body, it's a physical thing. It's my, hey, if my stomach's just made for food, just go ahead and use it that way. Obviously, our bodies are made for sex. The complement idea, right? Men and women, they come together. So what does it matter, Paul? Like my stomach's made for food. My body's made for sex. So what does it matter? Here's the problem. We're more than just a body. You're more than just a body. You're not just, remember that crude phrase from a couple weeks ago that somebody used? You're not just a meat skeleton. It's crude, but it gets the idea across, doesn't it? You're not just a meat skeleton. I heard another one, another phrase somebody used in one of the books I was reading. We're just wet machines. Really? That's what we are? I mean, that's like such a oh, reductionist view of like what it means to be a human. Are you really just an animal? No. You are a soul and a body that God has united in one place. That's what you are. You're more than just your body. And here's what this does. Here's what's happening on college campuses and places all over the world today. Here's what happens. Take a look. If the purpose of sexuality is mere pleasure, or if we're just a meat skeleton, sooner or later, the other person, with all their personality and their own separate desires, is just going to become annoying, really. Burdensome. The ideal then becomes no names, just sex. The partners use each other to gain a particular pleasure, trying as much as possible to remain totally separated in their own realms of just subjective experience. This is the ethic of our age, right here. All over college campuses and our young adults coming up and in and through, uh, this is the ethic of the age. All over the place. But they realize that it's off. Even if they don't know why, they realize something is missing than casual hookup sex. Something's missing. It's the reason porn is so popular. All the pleasure with no annoying person. I mean, that's the reality. That's what they're saying. We're people. We've got to deal with each other, especially when it comes to sex. Paul says, Corinthians, you don't get it. Your body's for the Lord. This thing you've been gifted and given is for him. He gave it to you. Not just to put food in the stomach. Basically, Paul's saying not just to feed desires. Yes, he created sex, but your body too. Back to Paul's slogan. But every other, every other 
secondary use of sex has to come under that ultimate purpose. He gave you your body. It's his. It's meant to glorify him. Let's bring that slogan back up, guys, in the back there. So what does he say? His response is, the body's not meant for sexual morality. You know what that word is? You'll, you'll get it pretty quick. Porneia. The word's porneia. Is the, the kind of, we don't you do this a lot, but it's the word that in the original language. Really obvious where we get our word pornography from, isn't it? He's the body's not meant for porneia. It means any type of sexual activity outside of marriage, he says, but for the Lord. Well, they also said, yeah, my body's it's just for eating, right? They also said this one. My body's just going to rot away anyways. Why does it matter what I do with it? It's, they said it's just going to be, God's going to destroy it. It's just, what does it matter? That's what that was their phrase. Basically, that, that's them saying, it's just going to rot away. It's just matter. What does it matter what I do with it? And sometimes as Christians, we've talked about this in this series, we think that way a bit too, don't we? That salvation is of our souls. So our bodies, they don't really matter so much. We don't usually go as far to say, as, well, God doesn't care what I do with my body. Then we know that. But that line of thinking is kind of there. But do you know that's not the truth? That you know that's not the truth with your body. Death isn't the end. What's the end? Resurrection. That's the end. That's our, that's our sub-point there. Death isn't the end, as they said. It's just going to uh, decay anyways. That's not the end of your body. It will be on this earth, but that's not the end of this body you've been given. Resurrection is. Death is not the end. What does Paul say? He says, don't lose sight. Don't lose sight of the ultimate end of your body. The grave is not the end. Decaying is not the end for the Christian. It's not the destruction of the body. God cares so much about your body, he's going to resurrect it someday. That's the the truths of of, of his second coming when he comes back. Right now, those Christians who have died and gone ahead of us, they don't have a body yet. What that's like, don't ask me. I don't quite know. It's some kind of disembodied uh, time with the Lord, with others. I think there's visibility, but they don't have their body yet. They don't have it yet. That comes at the second coming when he resurrects all the dead. Do you see the connection from the here to the now of your body? What you do now in your body matters because he's going to resurrect it again. You'll get it back someday, it means. That's a weird thought, isn't it? You'll leave it behind for a while. You'll get it back someday, but a better body. The same, but not the same. Don't forget that. That's the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He resurrected from the grave, remember? He didn't stay dead. He came back with a body. Those slogans are lies that they told themselves. It doesn't matter what you do to your body. It's going to rot. Yes, but it's coming back. That's what Paul says. Don't forget the hope of the gospel. So he, he answers with a few rhetorical questions as we wrap up today. He says, don't you know your body's not your own? He's rhetorical. He says, shall I take the members of Christ, make them members of a prostitute? He asks them. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her? What's Paul saying? When you become a Christian, there is a, it's strange, but it's a mystical type of union that happens. Spiritual union, the the passage calls it. Where your body, your physical body, in some way composes Christ's own limbs. 
It's really hard to understand, but we've got to go with what Paul says, what the Word says. You become so united with Jesus, as close as sexual intimacy, basically, we're saying here, that your body is Christ's body. Now, not literally, and, and yet spiritually, there's a reality there that's true and real, just like the physical body, that you're so united with Him, it's like His body is your body. So that means then, as Paul asks these questions, when we commit sexual sin with our body, we're involving Christ's own body in the act. That's heavy. That is heavy. The popular phrase used to be, what was it, WWJD? What would Jesus do? Paul is saying, in some sense, you're actually making Jesus do when you take your body to these places. It was, to them, it was a prostitute, to porn, to sex outside of marriage. He's saying, what would Jesus do? In a sense, you're making Jesus do with your body. That's how intimately tied to him you are as a Christian. He goes on in verse 19 and say, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit lives inside you. You carry him wherever you go. So when you go to a prostitute, you take the Holy Spirit and the body he's given you, which is a temple, to that prostitute. And you become one with her. You make Jesus one with that sin. So what does he say? Flee. He says, flee. It's really simple. It's not complex. It's not heavy doctrine theology. He says, flee. And we all know what that word means, right? He says, flee. Flee. Run. Run from sexual morality, Paul says. Let's apply it. Clearly, our biggest issue today in the church is pornography. Study after study is coming out. Clearly the biggest issue. It's a plague, it's a scourge, it's an epidemic, whatever you want to call it. Porn masters the user. It rewires the brain. Did you know that? It rewires your brain. It gives your brain hits like, of dopamine that become addictive like a drug. So that each time, like a drug user, you've got to go back to get to that initial high with something more extreme. What would fleeing look like for you, for us? Think differently now. What would fleeing look like? Flee by taking the internet out of your house. Or at least moving the computer to a public room. Flee by going back to a flip phone. Flee by getting help, sharing your struggle with someone. And you like you almost hear me say, that's like ridiculous. I, we couldn't live this way. Could we, could we live this way? You couldn't? Would you die without the internet? Would you die without it? You can go to the library. It's there for free. You probably wouldn't be as tempted there. Do we want to slay sin or do we want to hide it? Paul says, flee. Jesus says, gouge out your eye. Hyperbole. But he's saying, do the extreme thing. Get a flip phone. That's what flee would mean as we apply it to pornography. But you can think in other areas too. Finally, this one today. You've been bought twice at creation and the cross. You're not your own. You're not your own. That's the message of our culture. The message of our culture is bodily autonomy. It's yours. Nobody gave it to you. It's going to rot anyways. You might as well do what you want with it while you're here. It's not the Bible. It's not the gospel. You've been bought twice. Christianity offers a better story than all the lies and slogans, all the identities your culture wants to offer you because God made you, because you're redeemed. You've been purchased twice. Do you know that? At creation, he made you. You're his. 
At the cross, he, made, he redeemed you. You're his. Verse 20 says, you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. We were redeemed. He died for you, soul and body. So while sex isn't everything, sexual sin is serious. It's destructive. It treats other people as objects. So whether it's your lust for your coworker, lust for your neighbor, your addiction to porn, your affair, your same-sex attraction, the answer is the same for all of us in this room. Repent and find forgiveness in Jesus. Repent. Past, present, future sins. Sexual sins are not the unforgivable sins. Are they heavy? Yes. It's the same. Some people might think, that message is so defeatist to go to somebody that has same-sex attraction, let's say, and say, repent? It's such a downer. They think, well, people don't want to hear that message. It only breeds despair. I love this quote. This guy, Owen Strachan, says, confessing our sinful desires, even the secret and fleeting ones, opens up the gateway to joy, not defeat. He says, all around us are people who live in entrapment. They never confess their sins to God. They never repent, and their hearts are open wounds. Isn't that a sad picture? We must not think that they have it good, and we're, we who are called to repent have it bad. Repentance is the gateway to delight. Do you believe that? Repentance is the gateway to delight, for it leads us to God, who is true delight itself. Repentance, holiness, forgiveness, that's where real freedom and joy is found. So is it hard to call us to repent sexually? It's hard for me to stand up here today and do this. I'll be honest with you. But I believe the gospel. And that means on the other side of that repentance is true joy and delight in God. Let's pray. Lord, we talk about heavy things today. We talk about things that impact all of us today as we all have our own sexual sin. But may we believe the gospel that the death of Jesus Christ covers our sexual sin. The death of Jesus Christ makes possible true forgiveness and repentance. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us a power that can even defeat the temptations of our heart. And so I pray that for Bethany Church. I pray that over us today, that we would have men who would run from sexual sin, women who would run from sexual sin, because Jesus is better. We're not the ones called to ask to do the bad thing. We're ones that get to do the good thing of repentance and faith in Jesus. So give us that joy today, joy to know that our bodies are meant to glorify you, God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand with me as we respond singing Jesus is better. Jesus Lord.
today. A couple quick things before we do our new benediction. It's a new scripture. Uh, first one is this. We're going to do a Q&A today again. If you, anything from the previous weeks, not just today, but anything's been on your mind, heart, something's confusing, something you want to talk about, come to room two in like oh, five or six minutes or so. We'll be in there. Any questions you have that we want to talk about or you want to raise, come on in there. Second thing is this. We've got Father's Day gifts for you in the back. And actually, any guy today can take them. You don't have to be a dad. You mean grandpa. You can be just a guy. Take one of these today. We want to give you some chocolate today as our gifts. Our, our deaconesses put these together, and they are in the back. Our deaconesses helping us out, passing those out today. Resources are out there. Gobble them up. They're five bucks. They're really like cheap, like 50% or more off. All that relate to this series out on the counter. Uh, they're out there today. Let's bless one another as we head out today. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Take your bodies out of here. Have a good Father's Day and glorify God with your body.